Welcome to episode 169 of Control the Controllables. And how mad does that sound, saying 169? You know, how, how have we had so many conversations with so many amazing people? A, a big thank you to you all who have who made it possible, you know, the guests, but mainly you at home that are listening or in the car or wherever you are listening to this. It is, it is greatly appreciated for myself and the amazing team behind me at Control the Controllables. And we've got another fantastic episode for you today. You know, I, I say it lots, this is my favourite, but when you get a chance to speak to these amazing people and so fresh off the greatest tennis tournament in the world at Wimbledon, it really does put such a massive smile on my face. I was lucky enough to be sat next to Rod Laver at the time. He was oh, wow. actually started speaking, yeah, which is quite remarkable. He started talking to me about saying, like, Norrie, he's not going to win this match. His words were, Djokovic is too much of a, a backboard. They're too similar. And Norrie has to come to the net and change things up. And then Norrie started to come, come to the net and he was he missed a couple of easy volleys. I think the backhand volley cross court in the second set to maybe hold. And then he actually missed it to actually get broke. And then Rodley was like, I could teach him that volley. So it's quite remarkable to hear Rod Laver say that. And my panel this evening, where do I start? You know, I have to start with our back-to-back Wimbledon champions, Neil Skupski and Desiree Kravchek. Two mixed doubles titles in two years. Last year they came on, they gave us an exclusive to say they were going to play this year. It didn't quite pan out like that at first but it did in the end, and they came away with that title again. Listen in to find out if they give us another exclusive for Wimbledon 2023. And then Lizzie Barnett, if anybody watched Wimbledon and had the fortune of seeing that epic tiebreak as her and Johnny O'Mara in the mixed doubles played against Venus Williams and Jamie Murray, she comes on to talk about her first Wimbledon experience and what an experience it was. Got Kieran Vorster, someone who has, has been a big supporter of Control the Controllables, the current fitness coach of Liam Brody, and he was there in the box as Liam Brody took out Diego Schwartzman in the second round at the All England Club. And then Freddie Nielsen, the 10 year anniversary of him winning Wimbledon with Johnny Marais. He went back this year to experience the Legends event. It didn't quite go as well as 10 years ago, but he's with us. He brings his amazing insight. And then we got a little special guest appearance as Paul Jubb comes on and joins the panel halfway through to let us know about his time playing against Nick Kyrgios in the first round at Wimbledon before Kyrgios beat him 7-5 in the fifth set and went on to make the final, losing to Novak Djokovic on Sunday. It is a brilliant conversation, full of laughs, full of insights, full of knowledge. And there's nowhere I would have preferred to be last night than having these amazing conversations with these amazing people in the tennis world. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I'm going to pass you over to my Wimbledon 2022 panellists. A big welcome to my panellists of the, this episode of Control Controllables. How are we all doing, guys? Yeah, good. Very well, thank you. Well, then. Lots of Wimbledon legends 
in, in front of me. Lots of amazing events. What a, what a two weeks that that was at SW19. You know, I was, I was stuck in Spain watching it all on TV whenever I got the chance. And I know all of you guys were there. And, and I think I want to I wanna start off and to go to you, Freddie, first. Talk about the, I don't want to jump into our gloating yet of our picks. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to save, I'm going to save the gloating till a little bit later. What were, what were some of the highlights for you of, of the event over the last couple of weeks? Well, I think personally, one of the biggest highlights was how little they talked about the lack of points and the lack of Russians and Belarusians at the tournament. I think there were so many good storylines this year at Wimbledon. So many great matches in all the competitions, a lot of new faces that uh, you kind of forget, forgot about all the, all the drama beforehand. And it was able to be a standout tournament that, that had so many amazing storylines. I mean, we can go through all the storylines, obviously, but it's very rare, I think, that, that you have like uh, Tatiana Maria, uh, a mom of two who's never made a past second round of a slam making semis. You have Anshabur, who is obviously a role model for, for her region of the world and, and women's sports. You have Nick Kyrgios, the amazing talent that's always been expected to do things, who all of a sudden did things, oh, not without controversy on the way, of course. Uh, you had Novak, who is now equaling Pete's uh, seven, seven uh, Wimbledons. You had an unbelievable men's doubles tournament and, yeah. uh, and, and so on. I think, I think the... I think it was a really, really great championship, to be honest. And wheelchair tennis came to the forefront as well. We saw, I think, I think that was the first time they've played on court one as well. You know, a couple of a couple of amazing matches, and and it really was. It stuck out. Now, my one of my big highlights, but I would arguably say my highlight, and I am not just saying this because Lizzie is on this on this show, but that tiebreak. Barnett O'Mara against Venus Williams and Jamie Murray, 18-16 in the third set, was the most incredible drama I, I think I've seen in a long, long time. And we've got you here to talk about it as well. So tell us, what was it like to be on that court? Because watching it was, was absolutely incredible. I don't even know how to start. Um... I just think like all the stars kind of aligned. Um, it was obviously my first Wimbledon, which Johnny didn't even realize um, until after this match. <laughs> um, and I literally, I remember bouncing the ball at one point and thinking, this is literally a dream. Um, but Are you I think also playing what... people that played their first Wimbledon? Or... <laughs> yeah, I did not. Yeah, uh, it was just crazy. Um, Obviously, like playing Jamie and Venus was like unbelievable. I mean, Jamie's been so supportive, and um, my first like taste of playing with like some amazing players was Battle of the Brits after lockdown. So he's been a massive support for living my career. Um, so to play him on one of the, one of the biggest courts was incredible, and it was my obviously my first Wimbledon. So all my family and friends were very very excited. And some of them had been up since 4.30 in the morning queuing. So wherever I looked, I could see and I could hear um, friends and family, which definitely helped. At one point, I was in the tie break and I was bouncing the ball. I'd already started my service, service action 
and my friend from school shouts finish them Lissy <laughs> like it's dead silent finish them Lissy I was like oh my god so I couldn't help but laugh when I had friends shouting things like that out and one of my friends from home was shouting to my dad Nigel can I marry your daughter and like it was just fun and games and I mean everyone knows Johnny he's like really good spirited like really funny like diving all over the court I didn't know this lad before and in our first match he did this insane like jump and landed on his stomach and I was like are you okay and he's like yeah yeah I'm fine and apparently he does it all the time so it was just brilliant um and some of the tennis was just insane and some of the rallies and I don't know like uh, yeah at least I didn't hit my partner in the back of the head like I did in my first my my second match for live with a second serve that was all I cared about <laughs> and Johnny Johnny O'Mara I've always thought that he's he's made for that stage he's like he, he is a superstar in, in in terms of you put him on that stage he's got He's got the way about it. He loves the crowd. He gets it all going. So it must have been fun being being on that stage with him. It was so fun. I think, I mean, taking it back to our first match, I just lost in a, in a tie break in the third with Liv. And I was really a bit heartbroken because I felt like we really put everything out there. And I went back out an hour and a half later with Johnny. And he immediately made me like laugh and like we were getting aced by this guy who just won the French Open men's and I was like there's no chance we're gonna break this guy and he was like let's have a sniff come on should we have a sniff and I'm like who are you you're brilliant you're absolutely brilliant so how can you not laugh at that and obviously if you're like relaxed and having a swing we're gonna play better and we played some really good tennis and that so then when I went into the next match, I just felt like, okay, well, he's got my back. And if I'm a bit nervous, he's, uh, he's definitely going to just do something crazy and get the crowd involved. And like, he did a challenge in the first like few games and started like clapping along with the crowd. And I was like, this is brilliant. So of course I started getting involved and like trying to put my hands up to try and get the crowd going. And it was just, yeah, it didn't seem like a tennis match at that point. It was more of like a, just, Yeah. I don't know, a show at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And Fozzie, to bring you in, welcome. Welcome to the podcast again. Good to have you. Yeah. What was what was your highlight? You know, what was, I know you were there <clears throat> with Liam Brody, who, Liam, I, I have to admit, Liam, Liam brought me to tears when he beat Schwartzman. Seeing that match and seeing and knowing what Liam's been through for so many years, and, you know, for you to be in his corner, that must have been a special moment. Was that the standout or was there some other highlights that jumped out for you? Uh, I mean, for obviously, for first of all, just, just to say, we were, I was with Dave um, Savile at home watching your mixed doubles. And I've never, Dave, as big as he is, was like jumping up and down, screaming at the TV. <laughs> and uh, I've never seen a guy... You know, so so happy. I mean, he he went from mainstream watching mainstream Wimbledon to, to requesting to watch the mixed doubles on iPlayer, which we did. And he he was so happy for you, and um, he actually said you were the standout player on 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 the court. And um, I tend to agree with that. So so well done, well done you on that. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. That's unbelievable. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He was literally, you know, he couldn't. Be, he was so happy. It was like he had won the singles title. Um, for, for me, yeah, obviously for Liam, Liam doing what he did was great. Um, I think it was a huge monkey of his back in terms of beating a guy, you know, as high as sportsman and, 
and on a show court. I think, um, you know, he, he proved to himself that, that, you know, he can mix with the best. And then the other, the other, the other standout for me was the girls' doubles, Angela Okotoi from, yep. from, uh, from Kenya. I'm born in Kenya, so I thought that was an amazing effort. Um, Incredible. And, um, you know, for, for her to have done what she's done and then, you know, carry that flag for Kenyan tennis and, and probably, you know, also for, for Africa as well, not just from what Ange Jabeur had done as well. So I think, you know, uh, there's, there's loads, but I mean, you know, there, there's obviously the wheelchair stuff as well. Um, uh, Alfie Hewitt just, just coming short, but he played a ridiculous number of hours. I think he had played like seven hours the day, two days before, the day before um, the final, and then he played a three and a half hour, whatever final. So, yeah, those probably are, are the ones that stand out uh, for me. But I think, for, you know, from a personal note, really pleased for Liam. Re- actually, really pleased for Dave Samuel as well. Um, Absolutely. He's been with Liam since t- 2014, and, you know, he's, he's a, a very, very good coach. A lot of empathy, you know, care for the player is incredible. Um, and, you know, like even, even Bath, you know, the care that he has for that program, you know, he was telling me about, about you, that you, you know, went through the juniors and, you know, you're a real Bath girl and, and come through and, and, you know, he, he, his passion is unbelievable. Um, and he's a certain, certainly a coach that wouldn't take on a role for money. You know, he takes on a role where, you know, he thinks he can take, make, make a difference to the player and, get them to, to their end destination. So, And Neil Skupski, double Wimbledon champion. I, at this point, can't talk to you about your highlight without bringing your doubles partner in. So Desiree, thank you for jumping in and joining the panel and back-to-back Wimbledon champions. How does that sound? Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> little surreal, though, actually. With Any, the same partner, even better. Well, we'll get onto that in a minute. But, oh, God. But how, how does it feel, I guess, the second time around? And I know you're becoming a bit of a veteran at these Grand Slam things. But Wimbledon the first time is, I guess, completely surreal. The second time, all not that you know what's coming, but you're, you're a bit more used to it. You're a bit more... Um, a part of the fabric at the All England Club now was it? Was it a different feeling, better feeling, worse feeling? Um, obviously, the first time I won Wimbledon, I was shocked. I cried still. Uh, second time, still shocked. Cried still. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's tough to back it up. Obviously, I think our whole Wimbledon, we. We had a tough first round. So, I mean, going from almost, it was a tough first round and then making it to the finals and winning, it's just crazy. So, um, yeah, it was even better to win it again. Um, But I think it still hasn't really hit me that I've won another Grand Slam. So I don't know when it will hit me, but maybe if I keep looking at my trophy, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also Wimbledon, Wimbledon mixed doubles. There's something special, and not that mixed doubles isn't special elsewhere, but it feels as if the crowd at Wimbledon, they they really buy into the mixed doubles. It's like, it's such a special event. It's often saved for the last match on a show court at the end of the day. And, it, and, and, the, and the whole crowd 
seems to just go crazy for it. You know, you get lots of high profile names tend, tend to play the event as well. Is that, is that true for you as a player as well, that it is slightly different at Wimbledon to the other events? Yeah, I definitely think maybe that's why I play with the Brit, um, get a lot of fans for our matches. But uh, I think we've had such a great crowd every single match, um, every single, yeah, every single match, our first round, our semis, I think every seat was taken. We put on court two, I believe, and everyone came after the Nadal match and it was packed. I think everyone had a little bit too many pins, but it helped in our favor. Um, but it was, it's been a great environment. Um I think they definitely love the mixed doubles and doubles in general yeah. at Wimbledon. And they just thoroughly enjoy it. It's such a good, fun atmosphere and it helps us play better. Um, but I definitely feel that. And for you, Neil, this year you had your family there. You know, I know last year you didn't, you didn't have your parents there at the final to see Ken as well. And with Ken retiring, and you know his final Wimbledon, and to see the kids there and Haley and everywhere, what a what a what a special special moment that must have been. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, especially for I mean, Ken had he had retired, and then he'd gone back home and come back in the morning for the final. Um, left and got back at three a.m. Kids were were dying. They were going to school the next day, so they were a bit grumpy. Um, but yeah, obviously, uh, Des meeting my like kind of family for the first time because of the bubble last year and all uh, COVID. Um, so it was nice to have my parents in the box for the first time, um, win it again, and then just to see their faces. It was uh, an incredible thing for uh, for myself and my family. Um, and it was nice for Des to meet the Skopskis. Yeah, I actually thought his dad was the LSU like recruiting <laughs> there, actually. He's always I never met him. Won. I forgot I hadn't met him. Yeah. <laughs> And I went up to him. I was like, "Oh, are you like?" He asked me something about Neil, and I was like, "Oh, are you recruiting here?" And then, in my back of my head, I was like, "Oh my god, I think that's Neil's dad. It looks just like him." <laughs> and the next day, he's like, "Did you think I was working for LSU or I was a recruit?" I was like, "Yes, I just saw all this LSU here, and I just I don't know. I just put two and two together, and I was like, I'm so sorry. That was the first time I actually met you." <laughs> I I have not seen him for for 18 years without an LSU top on. <laughs> so, I've, so I've heard. Yeah. It's, it's, He's LSU's biggest promoter. He is. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and Des, I have to ask you as well, mixed doubles, you've obviously got a bit of a knack for this. You know, that's a, that there's a, what, four, four mixed doubles grand slams that you've got now. Mm-hmm. What is the secret to being so good at mixed doubles? I don't know, finding a good partner. <laughs> what? I honestly answer. don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I just feel like, I think I just have, maybe it's as bad, but I have a lot more fun. I feel like there's less pressure in a way. Also a little bit of pressure just because I've won a few of them and I feel like I want more. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like it brings a different kind of side of me on the court. Um but maybe a little bit more confidence because I have a good partner and I can feed yeah. off of that energy. And, you know, I have a good chemistry with Neil. Um, so it, it just, I don't know. I don't know why it works. It just works. And I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the moment where we talk partners. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Dan, because... do, you, do you remember last year? On the uh, here we go. 
I remember it very we, well. We, we had okay, I kept my word. We had an exclusive word, right? on the show. I was like a proud uncle, you know, thinking when I when the draw came out, I, I was like, if I'm honest, I was half thinking in the speech at the end out, we were going to get a mention. I'm going to leave here for a yeah. second. But, <laughs> but a proud uncle, I was like, the draw came out and I was like, yes, they are playing together. They've stuck to their word. And then I then heard that, it, that the partnership only came together two weeks before Wimbledon, which made me think that maybe it wasn't a controller controllables exclusive after all. So Was it two weeks? Was it two uh, weeks prior? It was during maybe, Berlin. Maybe three, yeah. Not not mm. not long. <laughs> so, no, not long. So tell us the so tell us the story, Des. <clears throat> Neil. You want me to tell it? <laughs> um, okay, well, basically I was gonna originally play with Joe. So I flip-flopped last year. Obviously, I thought, okay, I'll play with Neil. But then I was like, well, I'll flip-flop. So I played with Neil at French, and I was going to play with Joe at Wimbledon. So we played French, and then a couple of weeks later, Joe was kind of like, no, oh, I don't know if I want to play. It's just it's a lot of matches, a lot of sets, three to five for at Wimbledon. It's a lot for them. And I think he was kind of hesitant and didn't want to risk, you know, getting injured in the mix or whatnot. And so – he was kind of like, well, we can sign, but I'm just not sure. And I was like, no, I want to be sure. I want to like, I want to win. And so I was like, I'll try and find someone else. So of course I text Neil and I'm like, Hey, you're probably set. Me again. Me again. (laughs) It's it's me. Remember me. Um, Would you want to play Wimbledon? Just let me know if you're set. No worries. Cool. I figured he'd be set because it's three weeks out. You know, Neil plans ahead like anyone. And he texted me. He's like, oh, I'm actually set with another player. Uh, but let me get back to you. <laughs> I was like, okay, no pressure. Cool. Gets back to me the next day. And he's like, sure, let's play. And I was like, okay, great. This is great. And I don't know if I should be going into more detail, but... <laughs> But basically, it was a chain reaction because everyone kept switching partners because I started the trend. So Neil was set with someone else. Then she needed to find someone. And this girl, or Gabby had to find, stole someone else's partner. And the other girl had to find another partner. So it was just a whole chain reaction because of my part. But you know what? I'm happy I did it. And I have no regrets. Sorry. Very good. So we're now at this point again. Deja vu. Exclusive. We we felt we had the exclusive this time last year. We didn't really. We could pretend we did, but you went against the the the, the word that was set in this in this episode of Control the Controllable. I did. I went against it. So, but I ended up with the same partner. <laughs> so that's good. Two thousand and twenty-three, the triple crown. The Triple Crown Mixed Doubles Champions at Wimbledon. Surely nothing can get in the way of this next year. Do we have a 2023 exclusive that Skopsky and Kravchuk will play together next year at SW19? I feel like I need to sign a contract for this to be exclusive. I think you both... Neil's going to send me a contract He's gonna, and I have to yeah. sign it. <laughs> Even if she says yes, I'm not sure she's going to go through with it. 
I am going to go through with that. You know what? I am going to say it here for sure. I am going to go through with it. 2023, Neil, Skepsky, and Dez are playing at Wimbledon. Done. You heard it here first. There we go. There okay. we go, Dan. It's actually coming out of my mouth saying that. I didn't just say yes. I actually confirmed it. No, I but I didn't even ask Neil yet. So does Neil want to play with me? Of course. Why wouldn't I? Okay, there we go. Perfect. So when, so when you win a third... All we ask is a little shout out in the yep. in the winner's speech of where of where the magic of where the magic happened. Des, I didn't even say anything <laughs> in my speech too. I was like speechless. I have to say it was it was emotional watching. You know, you could feel the emotion from both of you. It it was it was incredible. The the semi final. I must admit, I was starting to think, oh no, this is not looking too good at so this moment. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But you did a great job to get out of that one. But there was no doubt in the final for me. You know, as soon as the final started, you, you looked very confident. You looked in control. I know things can change, but serving for the serving for the match, Neil found those first serves, no problem. And and well done, guys. Des, I know that you have to have to jump, but thank you for thank you for jumping on and joining the panel. And we will. Be in touch. This is this is better than a contract. <laughs> oh, thanks you so much for having me. <laughs> well done and good luck the rest of the summer. Thank you. In, in one one of my other big highlights was it was very special to see all of the all of the champions. You know, hundred years at Wimbledon, seeing them all come out onto the court. And what what a lovely moment that was when John McEnroy went off script and he spoke about Sue Barker, who after thirty years on the BBC, who I think all of us, you know, the sounds and and TV clips, I guess, is is how we all have memories of our childhood, and and I think Sue Barker has, has played a massive role in that, and and to see all of those players coming together, to see the emotion that she had, to see. All of those, all of those nice words, but a, a couple of things, a couple of notable absentees. Ash Barty, unfortunately, wasn't there, but I do believe she's been over in the UK playing golf at St Andrews, which was which was quite interesting. You know, I've kind of done with tennis, but I'll come over and have a game of golf. Um, Serena Williams also wasn't there. Um, obviously, her her comeback didn't last so long, even though it was a very dramatic match. They kind of almost started Wimbledon, I think, the Serena match. You know, the, the late match, the night match, you know, it was it was incredibly exciting. And then it went into Harmony Tan the next day, pulling out of the women's doubles. And then we had a doubles partner putting all of, all of those messages up on Instagram. And then she went back on it. And then when she won the next round, she went and back and put something else on in, in the world of social media. But the story that then brings me to is, and I want to take this to you, Freddie, because I know you're very similar age to Mr. Federer. Roger was there. You know, it was like James Bond had arrived. You know, all of the cameras and the pictures. But he has spoken out today. And it sounds quite ominous, the way that he's spoken. That, you know, it sounds like maybe he's starting to prepare us that, that he might not be coming back to play competitively, um, you know, and, and and I think all of us imagining tennis without Roger Federer at the, at the forefront is, is going to be a very difficult thing for us to get our heads around. So what, what, do you, what do you think? Will we see Roger Federer back 
on the court at Wimbledon, back on the court on the professional tour? I have a feeling that he will give it a go somehow. Uh, what that leads to, I'm not perfectly sure. Um, I don't think he will be Grand Slam competitive ever again. That's just, I mean, I can't rule him out because he's Roger Federer, but based on what I saw last time, he came back and the competitiveness of a slam, winning seven matches, best of five. I don't know. It just seems like his body has been through too much, but I would be you know, more than thrilled if he, if he was able to, but it just seems like it's, it's very difficult for him um, at this age. Recovery is a little bit longer. Um, I don't think he's the kind of guy who will be happy playing at a mediocre level based on nothing. I don't know him personally, so it's just a feeling I have. So I think he's not going to be comfortable doing what Andy is doing, for example, battling through the challenges and all that. So He's kind of said that today. That's what he's kind of said, I think, today. That, you know, he'd prefer not to come back if he's not going to come back and and really be pushing pushing for titles. Okay, I, I haven't seen his uh, quotes today, but I'm not surprised at that. I, uh, my, my attitude the last few years has been whatever we see from him is a bonus and I don't expect much. And Neil, to come back to you, I actually put a tweet out throughout Wimbledon and I said, and to share your sentiments, Freddie, I, I said it's so, it's all, I've not even thought about the points. You know, we were seeing these emotional, these emotional tennis players winning matches or losing matches and it didn't seem to mean anything, any different to them. You know, and I think there was some fear that maybe it would. I think we all knew that the magic of Wimbledon would, would ultimately win out over that. But as a player, I guess someone who you've gone and had an amazing year, you know, every every Grand Slam is a, is, a, is, a, is a fantastic opportunity to push the ranking up even higher. Did it cross your mind? And within the locker room, was it a topic of conversation that people were talking about the points that might have been? No, I mean, I don't think I ever had a... A conversation with another player during the two weeks about points. Um, there was a lot of talk about the points when it had first came out at different tournaments. But then during Wimbledon, I mean, I think the, I mean the prestige of the tournament itself. I mean, I can't speak about other players, but for me, I wasn't too bothered about playing uh, for points this year. I mean, it was it's Wimbledon. I've grown up watching that on the TV, watching my idols. Um, compete on centre court. Um, so having the opportunity to play Wimbledon once again um, is a bonus for me. So I didn't really worry about um, the points. Um, I know there's situations where like Djokovic has won Wimbledon and he's actually gone down to like Number the seven. of the world. <laughs> yeah, which is which is quite crazy. And like Mektik Pavic, they've dropped in the rankings and people that didn't do too well last year, like like myself, I, me and Ken only won we won one round last year and I've kind of made it to the third round this year, but I've actually gone up in the rankings. So I've kind of benefited from it, but no one's really talking about that situation until after the, after like now and seeing Djokovic drop, seeing like Medvedev at the top. So yeah, I mean, there, there wasn't much talk from my experiences in the locker room about the points. It was more about, it was so nice to just, being back at Wimbledon, having full crowds um, and seeing some amazing tennis again. I always think there was someone like, and 
Lizzie, you might be able to give us a, a bit of an insight into this. Someone like a Heather Watson, who, you know, Heather's dropped, uh, I think, 120 in the world. And, and there she is making fourth round of a Grand Slam, which is going to catapult her, I would imagine, up to 70, maybe. Just guessing, you know, that must hurt her a little bit. I guess, like, at the end of the day, you have to figure out what your why is. And I think looking at her responses and the way she fought in those matches, you can definitely see that her why was not necessarily points. Um, she was very gutsy coming through that first match. I know it wasn't her best tennis to start, but she definitely ended like really strong. Um, and in her speeches afterwards, she was just amazing. Like she just loved being there, like loved being in front of the British crowd, like just loved competing and no one can ever take away that fourth round from her. And looking back, we're not going to be thinking, oh, like she was 70 in the world at that point. We're going to be thinking she made fourth round Wimby. Like you don't really think about the points, especially if you're a <clears throat> spectator or another player, like you're just thinking about how far they got in the tournament. I have no idea what ranking Freddie was when he played Wimbledon, but I know he won it. Nobody knew. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even know. So I knew, like, I, knew, I knew he was one eighty in singles, or there or thereabouts. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, I don't think it really mattered. I don't think any of the players, when you actually got, to, I mean, like Neil said, like when you're actually in in the moment, you weren't yeah. thinking about the points. You're just thinking about like playing and enjoying it and fighting and winning. So, yeah, I think. Don't think Heather's really think about it too much now. Maybe she will be later when she's well mixed. Not mix, high. Mixed doubles. If, if I can jump, if I can jump yeah. in with one point to that, I mean, I agree with what you said that you don't think about it. But it's the ones that are, I mean, Heather's been high ranked before. Novak obviously has got his life all sorted out. It's the it's the it's the game changes that I think about with the points, the Marias, the the Van Rijthoven, the ones where you think this can make. Yeah. This is a definite career changer, and it's. I just feel bad for those guys because. Yeah, you've got to feel bad. Yeah, but I mean, Tatiana, it, she's playing so well. Like you'd hope that she can back it up, and her results before Wimbledon were amazing, and that's how she got into Wimbledon in the first place. So hopefully, like she'll see, keep like catapulting up the rankings because she is playing really well, and maybe that's the thing. Like it, you don't want to base your whole year around one result. No, definitely not, but it is, uh, it is a way to get into tournaments. I mean, as I yeah. know, they're, they're, they're not top 100 as the, at the moment, the ones I spoke about, but you're absolutely right. It obviously sure. gives confidence that you can use for the other tournaments. I just feel bad for them because I think it was so unnecessary. I still do. I think. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. I think we all have an opinion on it. I mean, Liv <laughs> and I won our first round match as well, and we definitely needed the points because we were wild cards into it. So, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, but at the end of the day, I'm never going to say that I'd rather, yeah, I mean, obviously you'd prefer to have points and I don't know who it really punished in the end, but I think that's another discussion. But mixed mixed doubles has always been an exhibition event. There's, there's no points for mixed doubles, but we've got two people in this chat or, and, and when Desiree was on as well that, that have had arguably their greatest sporting moments you know, and, and I'm sure it doesn't matter to you guys that, that you don't get points exhibition, that you, you've you won a Wimbledon championship or you've won a massive match well, against maybe we should. Wimbledon. 
that's another that's another conversation for sure <laughs> absolutely you know and you'd get a lot more people playing it as well so but so maybe this shouldn't for some of the ones that have got the wild cards in but i i think yeah i think that's that's another topic but i want to I want to move into the, the very controversial topic without digging in um, of not allowing the Russians, Belarusians. Obviously, Vozzi, I'll bring you in at this point because we spoke about this in quite a lot of detail. I think it was in our French Open preview. And before the Wimbledon women's final, John McEnroe said, I don't mean to get into politics here, but she is Russian, Right. It's sort of strange because this whole whole ordeal of not allowing Russians to play, we've then gone and had someone who was born in Moscow, lives in Moscow, for all intents and purposes, is Russian, changed four years ago, I would imagine, for more funding purposes, as happens in the tennis world. It almost felt like it was destiny. It was going to happen from quarterfinal stage that this was going to happen. What's your thoughts on that, Vozzy? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I put a tweet out, the irony, the irony of the Wimbledon champion, she's, she's Russian. She's, she's Russian and naturalized Kazakhstani, and, you know, she's more Russian than she is Kazakhstani. Um, and I, I was told on good knowledge that she's only been to Kazakhstan twice. She trained, she, she, she trained outside the country, and... Um, and 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 the reason why she she changed allegiance was was all funding based. I mean Ben Ben Rothenberg was trying to sugarcoat it. It was just a load of shit. I mean it's basically Ben she moved because of, of funding opportunities. Which happens. Um, it happens. Yeah, that's it, life. Yeah, it's no, happened. No, I mean you yeah, could argue there's, there's, argue the same with Cameron Norrie when he was sixteen years old. You know it happens. It happens in in lots of cases. And what was interesting is Kate Middleton never shook her hand. Huh? Did she not? No. Whether that was circumstantial, circumstantial or not, because obviously she was holding the the, the trophy um, that she couldn't. But yeah, she didn't she didn't shake her hand. I, I don't want to get too hung up on that topic because we we've been there before. But she is a hell of a tennis player, and Anjibar is a one that I believe myself might have picked. I think that might have been one of my picks, Freddie. Um, yeah. I also. I also believe one of one of my picks, Anissa Morva, beat Coco Goff, who was Vozzy and Freddie's big pick. You know, Lizzie, we, we went big, or there were some of the some of the guys went big on Igish Fiontek on the women's side. You know, I think a couple of us were quite strong that maybe Wimbledon, she's not quite ready for that. You know, what was what was your take, Freddie, on, on the women's event this year? I thought it was a fantastic event. Very packed with the with storylines, a lot of positive uh, stories as well. Um, it was all about good tennis, good stories. Uh, I think in the times when the two uh, the two of the semifinalists, um, Maria and Shabur, just represents two different aspects of of women's sports that are really really important. I think, and uh, yeah, I have a kid. I've seen my wife going through being pregnant and recovering from pregnancy. I'm not going to be, be the man to talk about it, but I can tell that it's really difficult. So to go through it after two kids and being a world-class athlete is outrageously impressive. And it's, it, it serves as a great role model that 
that if you want to, you can do it. I mean, Serena won Aussie Open pregnant. And these things are really, really important, I think, to, to show that there's, there's a way to find a balance and still be competitive. I think it's very important with uh, Jabir that she, uh, she leads uh, such a good example. What an easy person to, to, to root for and support. Amazing. Uh, yeah. a great, great personality, but also great tennis. And, uh, and, and I thought it was just great to see that uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but Rubakina uh, win by playing such outrageously good tennis, like pumping serves, really going at it, not being afraid. Uh, I was doing uh, Danish TV before the semifinal. We were talking about the Halep-Rubakina's matchup and thinking, hmm, the experienced one against the youngster, is she going to be able to, to stay calm? And in fact, she was the one who looked like the experienced one. And, and at the end of the day, it just proves that confidence is better than experience any time of the week. And Leslie, to bring you in as well, the, the British girls... You know, had a had a had a great event. You know, Harriet Dart third round. She's cemented her place really as someone who she seems to love the Grand Slams. You know, qualified for so many now. You know, Raducanu potentially disappointed some, but did win a match. You know, and 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 also oh, sorry, Harriet was second round. Katie Bolter third round. You know, so starting to get lots of wins on the board and obviously Heather Watson as well in the fourth round. So there must be a feel-good factor within British tennis, within the girls right now. Yeah, I think um, in general, like the grass tournaments at the lead-up uh, was brilliant. I mean, there were a lot of wins uh, throughout the whole of British tennis, men as well. And some of the girls were getting incredible wins. Um and we've just got a really good group of um, Brits coming through at that level. And from the level below, like they're pushing up um, and each of them are kind of pushing each other. And I think at this point, I feel like everyone's really rooting for each other. And it's just brilliant to see, like, I mean, Harriet's an incredibly gritty player. Like she's very hardworking and you can see that with her results and the way she acts and composes herself on court. And I think just being British, like everyone competes really hard and they love being in front of a crowd. And I just feel like that brings the best out of them. Um, but yeah, it's really good to see Bolts doing well. Like I know she's not had an easy time this year. So to, to see like her coming through and like those rounds of matches is really, really good and quite inspiring for other players. So I just wanted to say also like seeing Alfie Hewitt doing well as well was really good to see. Like I hadn't really watched much wheelchair tennis before and I definitely will start watching more because he was brilliant. Um, I mean, to come through his semi-final match, wasn't he a set and five, two down or something and come through. Set and four love. Four love. Yeah. It was amazing. So I don't know. I think British tennis, I, it just looks really exciting, especially like singles and doubles and wheelchair, like from all aspects, it's exciting. Yeah, and, and these doubles with Gordon Reed. So we actually, we had Gordon Reed at the academy as he got ready for the French Open because one of our academy coaches, Bruno, coaches him. And having him around the academy for 10 days was brilliant. Just, and he was competing with our juniors. You know, they were full on, full on playing against each other. You know, he was getting getting stuck in. So we were all watching their semi-final on court one at the club. And it went six all and then 10-7. And Gordon hit this most unbelievable drop shot 
he's so like the skill level he's got is is outrageous and he had this unbelievable drop shot to win and everyone went wild and you know unfortunately they didn't get it done in in the, yeah. in, the in the final but it does feel that wheelchair tennis has been put on the map now you know and we saw yeah. we saw what happened in australia as well you know, that was a, there was a big, with Dylan Alcott, that was a big, big moment. You know, he was the the headline for the Australian Open. And I think it's fantastic that this this sport is opening up for more and more. And it's, it's another really big positive from the event. Um, one thing I, I was adamant on before Wimbledon, and I was mind blown that in the, preview that not one of the six panelists picked Novak Djokovic to win the men's event and I quite cockily uh, like to do sometimes on these on these shows is is make a big statement if if I'm wrong nobody really remembers but if I'm right I then drill it home that that I'm, that I'm right now I Vasi, was, Vasi, who did you pick who did you pick Shapovalov oh oh and Felix sorry I just had to see if you were one of the six. Okay. Freddie, I was the one pushing you for Kyrgios. You'd even forgotten he was in the draw. I had to say, what about Kyrgios? Oh, yeah, yeah, Kyrgios. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, but he didn't win. Djokovic was, wow. was the most <laughs> given champion I've seen for a long time. He'd won. People didn't realize this. He'd won something like his last, before the event, he'd won his last 32 matches on center court. I mean... If there's there's ever been a, a favorite going into an event, I, I really thought it was Djokovic. Now, when I was looking back, Vozzi, you're trying to take a little bit of the credit for there. I mean, I, I'm not surprised after picking Shapovalov and Felix um, as your as your champions. But can I can I say can I say before before the tournament, Djokovic was ropier. Like everyone was saying that he's not in good nick. He, he had pulled out of two two exhibition matches at uh, at Hurlingham. And um, the, the feedback that I was getting from other coaches was he, he wasn't in a good headspace. And he played himself into form, uh, w- whether that's correct or not. But, you know, he, he, he looked unstoppable at the end. That liked him. And if I can add to that being the favorite, I think I didn't meet anybody during the tournament that even when he was down two sets to love against Sinner, still thought he was going to win. I mean, that's how much people rate him and what you expect of him. Nobody really thought Sinner was going to win that match, even though he had two sets to love. No, no, yeah. not, not a chance. Point. Almost point. not a chance. But but I, the, the pick of Djokovic, Freddie picked Djokovic as the winner and the one to watch, Kyrgios. So Freddie Nielsen, a little round of applause. I don't applause know if you can see in the darkness here, but I'm giving him the big salute, big salute. Freddie's at the cover there. He's on, my, my, on <laughs> So guys, as we're as we're talking about the crazy, the miraculous, whatever you want to call him, Nick Kyrgios, it's also a good time, I think, to bring in uh, our special guest who's who's jumping in to join us on on the panel this evening in Paul Job, who played him in the first round at Wimbledon, took him to took him to five sets, had a break point at five all in the fifth set and pushed him every step of the way. So a big welcome, Jubby. Thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me. And Jubby, we're just talking there to the panel. You know, we're talking about Kyrgios. Everyone's got their got their mixed 
feelings about him. Some people love him. Some people loathe him. Um, I don't think anybody can argue that he's an incredible talent. But you were on the other side of the net. And, I, and the first thing I want to ask you, I guess, is how did you feel when the draw came out? Because everyone waits for the Wimbledon draw. You know, I know it's your second time playing in the main draw. But, you know, as, as a wild card how 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 was that feeling when you when you picked up the the draw and found out who you were playing? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was mixed emotions. Obviously, like you said, my second time at Wimby, and I think you know, obviously, really excited to play. And I guess drawing a big name like Nick um, kind of added to that excitement to, uh, for me. I would say, and but also at the same time, I was aware of. <laughs> you know, how, how much of a dangerous opponent he was. So, you know, that was also struck me, I, I would say as well. So I guess a bit of everything, but, um, you know, I was just always mainly excited to kind of get out there and show what I could do. And I guess knowing I was playing Nick, it was an even bigger opportunity to, you know, do it as I knew I would be playing on a bigger court. So, yeah. And, and talk to us. I mentioned there, you know, you you took him the distance. He he himself said in his press conference that he felt you had the opportunity. He could easily have walked away a loser and losing in the first round at Wimbledon. And there, there he was two weeks later in the final against Novak Djokovic. How was the match from from your from your side and what have your reflections been on that? Um obviously. I think the first thing is just I was very obviously gutted to come away second best and no one likes being a, a, a loser and especially especially me and you know I always you know want to be <laughs> the winner so um, I was definitely definitely gutted to to just miss out on that one but I think I came, I came away from the court um, you know proud with the way I handled myself and the uh, kind of the moment and, you know, was able to, to lock in and, and compete and kind of, well, not minimize his weapons, but deflate as much as I could. And then, yeah. you know, try and impose my game as, as much as I could and try and cause some damage. But um, I mean, facing Nick, he's, I've never really faced, I would say that much pressure in terms of, you know, when someone's serving that well. Um, how good how right. good is he serve? It, it, yeah, it's very, it's a very, very good serve and definitely the best serve I've ever played against. So, and yeah. I count myself a good returner and he was going through some service games so quick and then you're, you're obviously expected to go and, and hold. So it's then harder to, to swing out on your ground strokes a little bit as every point counts. And I think that was the the main pressure and a different kind of pressure I felt against him than kind of anyone else I've ever played, really. And was there a bit, a bit of a funny question, but I, I always always think tennis players have this, you know, to get so close, and I, and I know what a fierce competitor you are, and, you know, you've seen that draw. You're not just going in there for the experience. You're going there to, to get your scalp. And what you've done with Rublev in the past, you know, you've done and you will continue to do. Did you have any regrets? If there was, if there was one thing you would change about that match, is there, is there a shot? Is there a, 
uh, an execution, a point that you go, God, if only I'd done that in that moment, that could have been me moving into the next round. Um, I think, I mean, just the, the, I guess it was a lot of, I had a lot of great points in the match. Um, but the one what obviously sticks out is just the, the break point at five or, you know, when it's crunch time and, um, normally actually back myself in the tighter moments and in clutch situations and, the fifth set, I started seeing the return. Uh, my eyes started becoming a lot sharper and I was, um, yeah, putting a lot more returns in play. And, and yeah, I was, I was maybe throughout the match, I was a little bit more surprised, you know, I was able to, to get a good racket on it and, and get in the point. But um, come those moments and how I was feeling, you know, I, I expected myself to, to make that return. It was in the middle of the strings and, and kind of the way he was in the points, you know, the once the rally started going, it was I start I started backing myself from the baseline. So yeah. if I make that return, it, it's it's at that point in t- in time, it's I'm 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 for sure backing myself um, to maybe take that break point and then you know hopefully hopefully serve it out. Um, so it was just obviously gutting. I just couldn't get into yeah. into the point in that situation in that moment. And, and in terms of, I guess, to turn the attention a little bit to Nick, because he is a polarising character. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody can argue that he's good for the game of tennis in terms of the attention that it brings. You know, some people will argue he goes over the line. Some people will 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 argue that tennis needs that. Tennis needs a bit of a shake-up and it's good to have characters. You have first-hand... <laughs> been on the other side of the net when that is happening you know he's getting into it with the crowd he's talking out loud he's 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 doing what Nick Kyrgios does how how was that how how did you deal with that and what what's your opinion does he go too far does he step over the line you know where do you fall on that um for me I actually I think because I was you know just very focused on my side of the net as I knew that was going to be one of the main things what would give me a good opportunity to win was to not get distracted by all that stuff I was prepared for that and I knew I didn't have like didn't have to get too pumped up and give him a reason to want to win you know just try and stay as mellow as I could and let him do what he wanted to do but um so I kind of blanked a lot of it out but I think in terms of entertainment, I probably doesn't go over the top because I guess you can't get enough entertainment. So in terms of, yeah, everyone watching, you know, they, at the end of the day, it is different. It, it is shaking things up. Um, but I think in terms of just for him, like in kind of just tournament to tournament for, for him, I would say it's maybe it is too much like, I, I couldn't imagine myself putting that much energy into all those negative things. Um, you know, for me with anything, if it's something negative and I don't need to put my energy into it, then it's, it's not any good to me. And a lot of the stuff we see is um, him spending all that energy on, I guess, unnecessary stuff, what doesn't need to, to blow up so much. So um, I definitely personally think just, for him like 
um, it is too much at times and it doesn't need to escalate as much as it does. Um, but also, I think that's just the way he's now learned, like, is the way he plays. Like, yeah, it's his it, learned behavior, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what kind of, I don't know, he's just so used to that now. And I guess a lot of other players, like, may struggle to to deal with all that stuff and it probably helps him out in a lot of scenarios so but um, his results his results would match that wouldn't they i mean his his results do fluctuate <laughs> you know before before sunday beating novak djokovic two times out of two <laughs> you know i think he's got a winning record potentially against well certainly over city pass you know, I think he's he's certainly beaten he's beaten Nadal. You know, he's 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 got the a big big range of the level that he can play and the results that he has. You know, and I, and I always think consistency starts in the mind. <laughs> if you've got a level a level head a level mind, you've got a much better chance of of bringing a base level to every single day. And I think Cameron Norrie is the perfect example of that. You know, he's very level-headed, very level-minded, very consistent in his day-to-day inputs. So then the output of that is, is, is also pretty consistent. You know, whereas Kyrgios's mind is, is so fluctuated, his, his effort levels, I would imagine, in training, you know, all of those, all of those pieces. Wimbledon, Wimbledon final one week, first round somewhere in two, three weeks' time. And I guess that's what makes the sport so exciting that we've we've got all these different people. For you personally, Jobby, you know, I think once again shows where your level's at. You know, I think it's it's only a matter of time before you're you're regularly playing in these big events. And and my last thing is, you know, what what confidence do you take from that? You know, knowing knowing that you on on a grass court, you know, playing against arguably one of the top five players in the world on a grass court, someone who's a Wimbledon finalist, you've taken them to almost a point or two of victory. What does that mean for you now as you move into the rest of the year? Yeah, I think. For sure, just that confidence and, and belief in in you know no yeah my level's definitely there. Um, my tennis is is there. Um, I know I can compete with the guys at the top, and not just from that match. Like the build-up tournaments before that, like playing top hundred guys for the for three weeks in a row, and you know winning rounds, and and the ones I lost were very very tight um you know a lot of breakpoint opportunities in those matches could have swung the other way and one of the matches um I won more points in the match and 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 lost you know so I definitely I think from these last few weeks it's just more of a yeah more of a reassurance that my level's there I'm doing the doing the right right things and uh it's just continue continue doing what I'm doing keep pushing because um, you know sooner sooner or later uh, like you say I will be you know playing all these bigger tournaments on a more regular basis and and uh, you know that's where I want to be that's where I'm going to be and it's it, it's a process thing I'm kind of in the building phase of of my uh, journey everyone's got to go through it and but I think just keeping that reassurance of it, it, it's there and and keeping that belief is is big because you know it's an individual sport and 
the when you're out there, the main person who's got to believe is yourself. So um, I think for sure that's, you know, these past few weeks are, are going to help me carry that in this second half of the year. Jobby, awesome. Great answer. I, I take so much from when I listen to all of you tennis players when you when you give these answers. I think it it shows where your mindsets are at, you know, and and your mindset is is right there. It's in the right place. On behalf of control the controllables and 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 everyone that follows follows the podcast, I know they wish you the best of luck for the rest of the year. I do appreciate you jumping on here. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring the rest of the panel back in now, but thank you for jumping and joining us this evening. No problem, no problem at all. So my, the the bromance, Neil, the bromance of Djokovic and Kyrgios that seems to have blossomed, seems to have blossomed throughout social media is it is it real do they do they really like each other now um i'm gonna say they do i mean i think it, it's starting to blossom a little bit um it obviously started the night before i think it was um on on instagram about going to a nightclub and uh, having dinner if someone wins someone paying um and then obviously it came up in the in the speech and it seemed like um, it was back and forth. I mean, especially I was surprised when Novak actually brought it out. So maybe he's starting to come around a little bit. But I, I mean, I do know it was quite beforehand. They did used to hate each other with a passion. Um, I mean, I think obviously Nick has always liked. He's always like Roger. I think he was. I think recently he started to say more nice things about Nadal being like the goat and stuff. Um, and he's an unbelievable player. Um, but it seems like Nick's starting to come around to, to Novak as well. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's well, for me, it's nice to see, to have given the, the, the top guys a bit more respect. But, I mean, I still enjoy the stuff that Nick brings to the court. He's completely different to everybody else. Um, and it was refreshing to see him bring a, a nice style of tennis um, to centre court, even though he wasn't wearing the, the whites of the All England club. <laughs> There's there's two there's two points I want to make and then I want to throw it to you. Fred. Can can I say one thing? Yes, absolutely. I just want to say I think one thing about Nick is that he's not. I don't find him to be particularly personal against people. If he if they do something he dislikes, he goes all in. But then if he feels like to jump to their defense, like with Novak in January, he's not shy to do it. I feel like he's quite. Yeah, he's very opinionated and he goes all out on his opinion. But I don't think he just sticks to being personal against somebody just to be yeah. personal. So so he'll come around if he feels there's a reason to come around. And I, I quite like that about him. It, it doesn't, it's not all black, black and white, it seems to me anyway. Well, I think it's going to work in Djokovic's favour. You know, if we go back to 2012, there was a lot of people didn't like Andy Murray, especially in the UK, actually. You know, a lot of people like to call him a Scot and he, he hates the English and he's grumpy and he's this and he's that. And then he lost to Roger Federer. He cried his eyes out on, on national or world, world television. And, and we almost, he, he kind of softened, he softened to us all. And since people started to maybe see a bit of vulnerability there and, and from there, I don't think there's a person now in the world that doesn't love Andy Murray. You know, he's completely transformed that. Now, I know that the Djokovic hatred is a little bit deeper. It was Mark Petchy tweeted and said that the crowd will be for Djokovic for the first time here. And I read that tweet and I thought, Petch, you've got that wrong. 
you know, the, the centre court crowd are going to be behind Kyrgios. And Kyrgios won the first point of the match. And it was very clear they were behind Kyrgios. But I do just wonder if I found myself really softening to Novak Djokovic. One, during the match, because I think he handled it very well. And two, in the award ceremony and in the speeches afterwards. I think he there was something a bit more genuine and human about him the way that that relationship and the things that he talked about with Nick Kyrgios. So I do just wonder if maybe that relationship with Kyrgios is going to almost help us start to connect to him a little bit more. So that that's my that's my first point. And then I want to throw this point. He also had the kind of kind of like Andy. He had the moment on court where he cried in US Open, and it seemed like that kind of turned a lot of crowds for him against Medvedev in the final. Yes, yeah, very possibly. Very possibly, but the bit I want to want to, want you, your thoughts on here, Freddie and and boys jump in. And Pat Cash talked about it, and he said he's brought tennis to the lowest level I can see as far as gamesmanship, cheating, manipulation, abuse, aggressive behaviour to umpires, and to linesmen. He's absolutely adamant that Nick Kyrgios is not good for the sport. He's not good for Australian tennis and he hasn't been shy to put it out there. He's a bit like Marmite or should we say Vegemite if we're talking about an Aussie. What do you think? Does he step over the line? Is it too much? I, I think sometimes he does, yeah. I, I don't like when he's that aggressive with Lions umpires and umpires. I think that's the that's the one time where like, uh, and it happens. I've done it several times. He's He's done it because he's so good all his life in the limelight. I did it at the Puma Tennis Center in Sunderland in front of nobody. So it didn't really make big news. But uh, but but I do think he steps over the line, as do many people. Uh, I also think that he gets punished a little bit harsher than a lot of other guys because of who he is, and it's a little bit easier. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think he's a cheater. Or, or like I think there are other people that are worse than that. I think he's very... <laughs> You know, he's 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 an open box. He kind of shows you what's going on inside his head and it's just pandemonium. But um, I don't think he's particularly trying to be mean or get an advantage. I just think it's his inner battles that come out and then it needs an outlet. I don't like what I see when he goes, like I said, when he's particularly aggressive about the umpires and line umpires. I think he could also be a little more apologetic afterwards and say, yeah, I kind of stepped over the line. And we talked about this after the Australian Open, where we were talking about how he has to be careful not to become a court jester and, and make sure that it's all about the tennis. I think he found a better balance now. And I ultimately think that he is great for the game. I think uh, what he says it himself. A lot of people watch his matches. I'm one of them. I mean, if there's a lot of matches on court, he'd be one of the first ones I want to watch. Uh, mainly because of his tennis skills. I know there's a lot of drama that's going to happen when he plays and there's going to be some some uh, some sound bites and clips for the social media but I, I like his tennis game I like he I think he has an underrated brain I think he can compete with everybody and I think he's got some personality that I want to see so ultimately borderline still but I think he's good for the game I, th- I don't like the aggressiveness towards individuals I think he has to be careful that he doesn't overstep and becomes a court jester but generally speaking I think he's good for the game Ozzy what would you do if a player that you're working with spoke to you like he spoke to his team when you sat in the box? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, would, I, would, I would walk talk. 
and I would have, I would have probably hit them in the, in, in, in the locker room. I mean, the guys, I mean, that's just, just being a prick. Um, you know, I, I, I've got no respect for that in any way, shape or form. No one deserves to be spoken to like that. And especially in a public domain where all you're doing is giving your wholehearted support to an individual on the court. And yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, like even against that match against Stefanos, you know, if I, if I was Stefanos, I, I would have just, uh, yeah, he, he would have got lumped in the, in, in the, in the locker room. And that's probably what needs to happen for him to calm down and actually for him just to focus on tennis. And, and some, you know, that wasn't a battle for him to take on. That was, he made that his battle and, and it wasn't, it was, had nothing to do with him. Um, and the way, you know, the way he was carrying on to, to his box in the final was just, to me, it's just just ludicrous, and I'm surprised that they, they, they all stood there and took it. Every single one of them took it. Um, and the best message they could have done, you know, if it was directed at one or directed more, just up six and leave. You know, if that's where you want to crack on, crack on, but don't, you know, shout at an empty box. Well, we saw Medvedev, didn't we, Neil? We saw yep. Medvedev's coach did it a couple of weeks earlier in the final. You know, there's that picture of him just picking up his bag. And, and and doing one. Do you think more teams, more coaches should do that? Or coming from the player's perspective, do you think it's part of the team's job to understand that what is being said is not meant and it's part of the, the coping mechanism with the stress that they're dealing with? Because we've seen Andy Murray do it for years. I wouldn't say he's done it to the same level Kyrgios was doing it in the final, but we have seen... Andy Murray do it for for years, and there is lots of players. Even Djokovic at a couple of points in the final was putting his stress that way. What's what's your take on it, Neil? Yeah, I mean it's difficult. I mean I was actually uh, right by the box for the final, behind Kyrgios's box, and it was you could tell uh, the Djokovic box were getting quite annoyed by the Kyrgios box because I, th- I mean nearly after every point uh, that Kyrgios won, they were on their feet. So I mean I was trying to I was trying to figure out why Nick was actually going crazy at his box. And it was be- it was mainly because they weren't saying enough. Um, they weren't being vocal enough. That's what he was shouting at them. But I mean, I think, I think it's tough. I mean, on both sides, I mean, if your employee is basically shouting at you, who's paying your bills, you're, you could be possibly scared to leave in case after the match is in, you've left, you've, left the box, you're fired. So that, that's one reason why some people may stay. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think it's good for the sport. I mean, but they've just brought in coaching Ebony from today. Well, this week in Newport, like coaches allowed to speak to the players from one end and then do signals from the other end, yeah. um, which for me, I don't agree with. Um, I think when you go on the court, uh, you're an individual and you are at, at half the battle is to try and figure out for yourself um, but that's going down a, another whole whole route of things. But, um, but, but also, in, in, in a real world, Neil, if, if your boss spoke to you like that, your boss would get fired. You, 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 would, have a, you would have an HR team going absolutely, like defending the employees. You, you mm-hmm. just don't speak to people like that. It, it, it's, a, it's a nonsense and, and even more in the public eye. You know, but it's, yeah. it's just the fact that, you know, you, you're obviously not working for a company, you're working for an individual. So, but, but in, a normal, in a normal role, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got eight, uh, seven employees that work for me. If I spoke to them like that, I'm, I'm hung up, hung and dry. 
I'm done. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I'm not saying that guys should take it. I mean, if, if they were, if I was the one getting shouted at by one of, if I was a coach and the play was shown at me, I would be out the box. There, there's, there's no yeah. chance I'm staying and taking the abuse um, because it's just, it's, it's not right. It's not, it's not nice to be no. shouted at um, in the public on TV with millions watching around the world. For me, I would, I would be out of there and then wait for them to come into the locker room to have a, a good stand talking to. At the same time, there's also a level of expectancy here because if you're in the box of the curious and you're surprised that he yells, then the joke's on you because that cannot surprise you. Secondly, we don't know what these teams have for agreements. You know, maybe some people has have various uh, ways of getting out and. Maybe there. Maybe he said, "Guys, when I lose it out there, I just need to unleash." Who knows? I'm not saying it's the right way to do it, but maybe this team has agreed. Okay, whenever he's stressed, this is the best uh, tool he has to deal with. It is just to take it out on the box, and then we're just gonna let him do that. And then after that, we can talk about it or whatever. But but we also don't know what goes on between within these teams, and and maybe maybe it's you know maybe he's better off it than holding it in for 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 now. Uh, who knows? I, I don't. I wouldn't want to be in a team like that either. I would say if that's the way it's supposed to be, then you have to find somebody else. But yeah. maybe within that team, they're happy. You know to, that that that's what they have to deal with right now. And and uh, and also, yeah, it's a Wimbledon final, and and uh, maybe they don't want to make that big of a scene. That, that make the scene bigger than it already is. But if you look at if you look at the team, I think this is maybe quite interesting. One was his dad. One was his, I don't know if it was his mom or his sister. 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 One was his girlfriend. One was his best mate. So Also agent. Okay, and an agent. So so, so we're not, I think the classic, he said, he said, uh, he got asked about having a coach after the, after the quarterfinal. And he said, now I wouldn't burden anybody with that. So, you know, that was his, that was his comment, you know? So I think he, he knows that no coach would put up with that or should put up with that, but I guess you can't choose your family in some ways. No. And I think, and I think they know him well. They know that he is just expressing his own frustration with himself because nobody, everybody knows that he's not genuinely upset that they're not talking more. He's upset with himself. He's stressed at the situation and it needs an outlet and it's much easier everybody's been there, everybody in this room, I think everybody in the world of tennis has been there where it's easier to project the disappointment with yourself onto something else. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't justify the way he did it. But I think maybe that's what they were thinking. They obviously understand, okay, this is his uh, way of telling the world that he's stressed out. And maybe that's why they were able to understand it again doesn't condone it, doesn't make it right. I agree with Bozzi. I wouldn't have it any, like that in, in any team I would be in. But everybody's different. It's an unhealthy coping mechanism, isn't it? We all have coping mechanisms when we're stressed. and It's yeah, a long-term anyway. It, 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 it's short-term, but long-term, I think it's very difficult to work on that. Yeah, and it's, and it's something that is, is quite set. But then we've got the opposite end of the scale in Rafael Nadal, who... I just love the video of when he leaves Wimbledon and he's shaking everybody's hands and giving hugs and you know, like you can you can feel it's a it's a true he truly has those values at heart. And I know he said again last week, I want to be known as a good person more than a good tennis player. And 
Nadal. Then, was... then what was what's your, what's your opinion on telling the guy on, on the Italian that he's ranting too much on the court? I think that was wrong. I think I think absolutely. I think absolutely. I, I think Nadal. I think Nadal, but he recognised it was wrong. I, I would imagine as as one of those one of those players who has carried the sport for four years, for, for sorry, 15, 20 years, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, you probably have at some point some form of entitlement that you try not to come out. But I think it was almost like he was, he, you look at some of the other players as if you are the head teacher, probably. And it, and it just, it came across in the wrong way. It came across that he wasn't on a level with his, his opponent and it was almost like me as a coach speaking to a 16 year old and saying hi this is my tennis academy that's that's out of order at my tennis academy you know it was almost like he, he, he lost where he was and mm. you know and, and I and I think that was a bit of a mistake he made you know uh, but he did hold his hands up pretty much straight after I think he felt guilty about it even in the handshake you know and he was you know, saying to the guy, look, I'm sorry that sorry that I did that. But my question that I want to throw to you, Vozzy, is firstly, from a physical side, to, to win a match with a torn stomach muscle that was obviously bad enough to not continue at a semi-finals of a Grand Slam seems to be a pretty heroic effort that not many players out there would do. And my next question is, if he was fit, would he have gone on to win number 23, in your opinion? I think uh, he still wouldn't have won. I think Novak would have won. Uh, and secondly, yeah, pretty heroic effort to win with uh, with a torn uh, stomach muscle or, or strained stomach muscle. But I think Taylor Fritz was lucky that he did it against Rafa Nadal because I think I like Taylor Fritz. It's nothing against him personally. But if it had been against anybody else, we would be talking about how he missed the opportunity to make Wimbledon semi-finals. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think in hindsight, I, I tell you, with Fred, I, 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 there was only going to be one winner of that event, which was Novak. Um, obviously, you know, I think, yeah, Taylor Fritz, not choked is the wrong word, but, but got tight. And obviously, when, when Rafa had pulled a stomach muscle, you've got adrenaline, you know, you're in the moment, you, you can find a way to get through that match, but you must have been in significant pain. And day, I also know one of one of our members was uh, his house was opposite Rafa's house, and he said the whole the whole of uh, Thursday there were just white coats going in and out the house the whole day, um, just different medics, massage tables in, tables out, um, you know. So obviously they were trying everything in their power to to get him right to play, and I just think they they realized late in the day that it wasn't impossible for him you know he must have been in so much pain that you know because they're saying it was obviously hurting on the serve and on the backhand uh, on that rotation so you know they 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 pulled the plug and you know i i also think look as as much as we talk about curious i think you know and i listened to curious as long his interview with abc i think that worked against him uh not playing from the wednesday to the sunday um, just, just in terms of rhythm and routine, um, and you know, he said that he tried to he tried to have like an elong, uh, a lengthy practice on on the Friday, but it's not the same as match conditions. Um, you know, you've lost, you, you lose that momentum. 
you know, going going into the final. So I think I think that worked against him. Oh. Everyone will say, well, you know, he's not a, he's in good shape, but you know, you you you, you, you get a rhythm. He had a rhythm, yeah. And, and I think I think that upset his rhythm. Um, he didn't blame he didn't blame that, but uh, you know, he he was like, you know, he was so he was so up for playing Sammy and and playing the Dow. Then all of a sudden it's not, and you know, then he's got to think of a way of of of, of match conditions. You know, whereas you know, you, you you hit the ball for 40 minutes and then you know you're going to play, you know, at least three hours of tennis on that Friday in, in very intense competitive situations. And then all of a sudden he's not doing that. So I think those those, those kind of things, I think, and the circumstances work, worked against him um, in, in that situation. Yeah, but, I, I, you know, there was only, I think there's, you know, at the end of, end of the day, there's only going to be one winner. And I think Novak played himself into contention. Um, and you know, even you know, like like what Fred said, like when when you know when your two sets left down to spinner, and then he just came back and chopped, and you, you looked unbelievable, you know, in that match. And then yeah, against against Norrie, you know, again he 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 was he was clinical. I thought I thought he was very clinical. Um, and then yeah, he played same in the in the final. And a big shout yeah. out to Cameron Norrie as well. I mean, okay, I can't believe I didn't mention that at the beginning when you mentioned my highlights. That's four of me. I felt I've been thinking about it and, the last thirty minutes. I feel bad about it. And and not not to continue the gloating, but I do believe he was my he was my watch out pick. Um, you know, but it, it's he just I I I know we got our superstars. We got these superstars. That's what they are. They're generational. The Alcaraz is coming now as well. You know, these players, they, they're they on this pedestal. You know, you can't touch them. You could touch Cameron Norrie. You know, Cameron Norrie and, and his journey, his story. I mean, I remember Josh Ward Hibbert playing him at Roehampton Juniors. Would have been Cam's first year juniors. And he was okay. But he didn't have a very good forehand return. Josh Ward Hibbert, you know, bless Josh. It, Josh was a, a big guy, big game, and all he did was just serve volley to the forehand and job done. And 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 you know, and this was at 17 years old, you know. So and then Cam's gone on, and his story is is just he's immense, and he's he's so normal in everything that he does, you know. And it's such a such a lovely guy, and he just keeps plugging away with these amazing results, and he's. I mean, we talk about the points. I guess that would have taken him well inside the top ten, you know, semi-finals of semi-finals of Wimbledon. And Neil, you've been on Davis Cup squads with Cam. Give us a little insight into Cameron Norrie. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had an unbelievable um, probably year to eighteen months. I mean, he's come out of well, not nowhere, but you always knew that he was an unbelievable, an unbelievable engine in him. Um, very good mentally. Um, nothing really uh, bothers him, and he's just gone from strength to strength over the last year or so. Um, obviously, we were in Indian Wells was a, a huge thing for him, um, and then I think before that, making the final of Queens the year before against losing to Berrettini. We've always seen that he's he's decent on grass, and then to put it together this year and making the semi-finals um, was incredible. I think a funny story is that he actually he was riding on his bike to Wimbledon every day, which was quite yeah. remarkable rather than using transport. Um, and then it was, it was nice to actually, after I'd, I'd played and finished, it was actually nice to watch a bit of tennis and I was able to watch um, 
the Norrie Djokovic match um, on centre court. And it was nice to see. I mean, the, the crowd really got behind Norrie for the first set. And then you could just tell Novak was starting to uh, turn the screw. And I was lucky enough to be sat next to Rod Laver at the time. He was oh, wow. actually started speaking. Yeah, which is quite remarkable. He started talking to me about saying, like, Norrie, he's not going to win this match. He's still not going to win this match, even though he was set up. Um, saying Djokovic, his words were, Djokovic is too much of a, a backboard. They're too similar. And Norrie has to come to the net and change things up. And then Norrie started to come come to the net and he was he missed a couple of easy volleys. I think the back end volley cross court in the second set to maybe hold. And then he actually missed it to actually get broke. And then Rodley was like, I could teach him that volley. So it was quite, <laughs> it was quite remarkable to, to hear Rod Laver say that. Um, but it, I mean, it was, I mean, Cam is doing unbelievable. He's going from strength to strength. Um, I mean, if you'd have said to me after him coming out of college, he'd be top 10 and winning Indian Wells. I wouldn't have believed you, but he's he's proven everyone wrong. Um, and you can't really say he's he's not going to get higher. He just seems to be improving. He's got a great coach behind him, Faku. Um, and he seems to, when he gets to the tournament, he knuckles down and he actually, he goes for it. But, but you know what I mean about, Vozzy, what I'm saying about he's touchable. Like if you're, if I'm, I think it, it's at academies or as a, as a coach of youngsters, Sometimes I think that role model of Nadal, Djokovic, Igor Fiontek, you know, Serena Williams, they're 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 too far, they're too they're, they're too much up there. Whereas whereas at the Cameron Norrie story, because you often talk about a Cameron Norrie, the journey he's had, that that, that that sort of player that gets to 50, 60 in the world, who has an amazing career. But he's kind of not just taken up one step, he's taken up another step. And now he's gone, gone to a semi-finals of a Grand Slam. I, I just think he is so good and such an amazing role model for people to look up to. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he when you say he's catchable, he, yeah, he's relatable. He, he's, you know, he's kept his team small. He's kept his team the same. His work rate is, is, is consistent. And yeah, he's like the man of the people. He's got time for everyone. He speaks to everyone. Uh, he's very good with the British the British juniors. Uh, he's got a lot of time for the British juniors. You talk with all the coaches. You know, he you know he goes out there. You know, you'll you'll you know have them hit with him. You'll give them advice. So yeah, I think he. Yeah, and then what he's doing personally is, is is he's knocking down his own personal milestone. So exactly what Neil just said there. You know, like you know he. He 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 won Indian Wells. That's a milestone. You know, who would have thought he would have done that? Now now he's made a semis of a slam. That's another milestone. And you know he's saying, you know, that I'm not I, I'm I'm not happy with just with that. I yeah. can do more. I can achieve more. I can go for more. And good, yeah, good luck to him. I could, you know, because for me it's for me at that at that level, you know, when when you, when you see all these players, it's it's all mental. And and if you've got that self belief mechanism and and you believe in your 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 ability and you believe like 80 85 percent you know you believe in doing your best and 80 85 percent of the time you're going to win then you're going to be you're going to be pretty good you're going to be consistent with the results and you know the 50 other 15 percent you lose um and and i think he's there you know i I think he's there and i think he's even further you know i I think he believes he can win 90 percent of the time that he plays and it's it's, fair place him 
it's so good for this is my the last player we'll talk about and we'll I just want to then mention mention the men's doubles which I think deserves a deserves a real mention is somebody like a Jack Draper who I believe will be a future top 20 player in the world and that was also one of my highlights actually and Freddie I don't know if you got to watch it but the tennis between him and Alex Dimanua for for two sets and certainly at the end of the second set where Dimanu I thought was sensational but Draper I think once again showed us and he then didn't go away you know he did for a while it felt like and then he made the big comeback in the, the end of the fourth set as well you know he really really is I think a one for us to for us to watch and for for British tennis to be extremely excited about Oh, absolutely. I have a lot of time for him. He seems like he has a great head on his shoulders. He plays great tennis. He's obviously gone through and made top 100, which says a lot about you in itself. And I think there's a lot to be positive about in British tennis in general. He's a great guy. Uh, I don't know him personally, but he seems like a great guy and he's easy to get behind and easy to support. He's got a big game. He took a set off Djokovic last year at center court. Yeah, what's not to like about him? I think I, I agree with you. I think I think what what Jack needs to to become better at is being more efficient efficient with his energy on the court. Um, he's he, he's giving so much that I think he just runs out of gas, and that's not not because he's um, unfit in any way, shape, or form. I just think he's not, he's he's not being efficient with with the energy, and you know he'll get better at that with experience. Um, know, know how to be more conservative with it. Yeah, but for sure, he's got a big game, and you know he he he's got a good te- he's got a good team around him. Um, and again, you know he's consistent with his work. He's got a good plan. They've yeah, got three weeks off now um, before they go to the states. He pulled out of uh, Newport for that reason, so they could focus on a block, a little bit of a mini training block. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's got his eye on the prize. So good luck to him. And Neil, we spoke about your mixed doubles at Wimbledon, men's doubles. You know the. One of the form teams of the year, you know, you've had a, you, you and Wesley have had an incredible 2022. What's your reflection on your your men's doubles event? Yeah, I mean, we're obviously uh, disappointed to to um, uh, finish in the third round, losing to Purcell and Ebden, um, who who went on to win it. We we felt like we didn't play our our best tennis in the first couple of sets against them guys, but they played well to not make us play the way we wanted um we managed to get back into it and um fight to a fifth set um but then they they played pretty well at the end i mean we we did have a chance at four all i think it was love 40 purcell serve and purcell came up with some big serves unreturnables um so yeah i mean they them boys they they played some marathon matches they played against in the first round they saved three match points in the fifth from love 40 down and then, obviously, uh, against Salisbury and Rammer, saving, I think it was five match points. Five match points. That yeah, was a heart, you, heartbreaker. Yeah. Um, and then uh, seeing Ram and Salisbury in the locker room, I, I mean, I didn't know what to say to them guys. Uh, it was so so difficult of a loss for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was a tough um, tough way to go out for us in the third round. But I thought the, the standard of the men's doubles was uh, quite exceptional this year. And then, the, I mean, the storyline of the final of Pavic playing with a broken hand, which was quite remarkable. Um, him, he did it in the semi-final. I think it was in the 
first set tiebreak or the second set tiebreak against Cabal Farah, winning seven six in the fifth, and then it was obviously it was the hand that he doesn't play with. It was his right hand, the lefty. So going onto court and then having the opportunity to even win that match, being a break up in the fifth, was quite remarkable. So hats off to him, but um, credit to the the Aussie lads for um, pulling it back and taking the title. Freddie, how would you fancy that? Playing a Wimbledon semi-final, and I take your double-handed backhand away from you. Well, uh, I kind of, I kind of did in the final. Mind the second, I couldn't play properly for the last three sets, but nothing like this. I mean, he couldn't even hold his his right hand on the racket to load for volleys or anything. So he's just the only thing you could do was throw up the ball. I mean, how big a talent are you if you can play nine competitive sets like that? And I mean. For all intents and purposes, they basically should have won that final. Four, three up in the in the fifth set with a break, got broken, and then had 15-40 to get 5-4 in the fifth. And it looked like he didn't hit a very clean personal on that on that break point. So I mean, they had that match and they had it with him playing one-handed. I mean, what a talent. I couldn't believe it. And it just shows what a player he is. Uh, but yeah, the Aussies, they were unbelievable. Um, that's that one of those match points against Joe and Reggie was a hundred percent on the frame volley winner. But at the end of the day, it, it happened because he made a courageous uh, placement at the net, and he he got uh, he got rewarded for 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 an aggressive uh, uh, way of playing the game, and they won it on their their rackets. I mean, the super tiebreak at the end was really high level, and basically only winners. It it feels. Do you remember when? Uh, and this is when we got Liverpool fans and Spurs fans, you guys might not thank me for this, but when Chelsea won the Champions League all of those years ago, and it just was like this destiny, they were getting killed by everyone. And then they somehow kind of found their way to come back and win. And in the final, I don't know, who did they play in the final? Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich. and, and In it Munich. Just, yeah, and it, but it just had this kind of destiny feel to it that... Chelsea were going to win it that year. And I watched a lot of the men's doubles and I had that feeling it was Purcell. He's like, he's such an Aussie looking bloke, isn't he? And he's got like, and he, and he, he had this big smile on his face. He was two sets to love down against Ram and Salisbury. And he was just smiling away as if, the, as if he knew something that we, that we didn't. And it just seemed to have, have that feeling. And, and he, he seemed to play, Without any tightness, he seemed to be just swinging, swinging from the hip. Some sometimes it happens, and 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 fair play to those guys. One little shout out I'd like to give uh, a, a name that you guys might know, you might not know, but look out for her, Lutza Udvardi, and Lutza Udvardi trained actually at the Soto Tennis Academy from the age of about twelve to fifteen. Um, made she was in Kenya only 12 months ago playing grade five events in the juniors and she made her way all the way to the final of the girls singles. So that was a, that was an incredible, incredible achievement. And, and, and in the final, and, and I don't know if you guys know the British guy, Matt Handlin, but Matt, Matt Handlin moved out to the States many years ago. And he also used to coach the winner Hov Day from, from the States who won the, who won the girls singles as well. So a shout out to Matt it's good to see all of these juniors coming through. The United States seem to be having lots of juniors. You know, it seems to be happening more and more. So it seems like they're getting their act together 
uh, as well as the Czech Republic when you go through that and, and look at it. But an amazing event, guys. Our final word has to go to our back-to-back Wimbledon champion, Neil Skopsky. Yeah, well done there, Neil. Great job, mate. Thanks, guys. Yeah, well done. I can't finish the pod without saying about Ken retiring at Wimbledon. Um, Amazing career. I mean, I I owe a lot to him for coming down to my level after finishing college. Uh, He was top 100 at the time. He dropped when I was about 700 to play Futures, to play Challenges, got me to top 100 um, within a year. And then we we lived our dream, uh, traveled the travel the world, playing tennis. Um, amazing thing for our family. But yeah, it was it was nice to see him win a couple of matches at Wimbledon. Amazing. Had a great win against uh, Melo and uh, Klassen in the second round with Johnny yeah. O'Mara. Um, still playing some good tennis. Um, so I was trying to get him to play for another, another year, but... You think he's uh, he's ready to be done, and yeah, he's looking forward to uh, moving on it in uh, his post tennis career. And he's gonna probably he's got the new Skupski Doubles Academy, and he's gonna travel a little bit with me on tour. So looking forward to that. Uh, I'm gonna have to listen to him now, and yeah, uh, can't thank him enough. Well, I, I great, raised a great point. Yeah. I uh, I second. Yeah, totally agree. Well I... done. Good job. I raise my glass to my college, my college roommate, and as and as I text him, you know, after after they lost in the third round, you know, when I take take us back to Tigerland four four four, you know, never did I think twenty one years later that that one of us would still be competing on the world stage, and you know, absolutely tip my hat to the career he's had you know, the impact he's had on you and, and I'm sure the impact he's going to continue to have on you, Neil, and, and, and the rest of anybody that he comes across. So, so a big, big tip of the hat and, and cheers to you, Ken, and, and a big, big thank you to all of you guys. Xavier, Melissa's just texted me to say a big hello to the crew and sorry, he's not being able to jump on. So hopefully we'll get Xavier on with us next time. It's nice to have the A-teamers back, guys. Sorry, you weren't dropped. You weren't put on the bench. Don't take offence by it. Mm. It was just us trying to spread the word of US College and the British tennis first-timers playing at Wimbledon, who I thought brought a lovely insight. But thank you, as always, guys, for giving your time. Congrats to, to all of you for your great work throughout the last couple of weeks. And, and Neil, obviously, for taking home another Wimbledon title. And all the best for you the next few weeks, guys. Thank you. And how much fun was that? A massive thank you to them all who who came on and and spoke to us and and gave us those amazing stories. The the Neil Skupski Rod Laver story, the backhand volley, you know, what what an incredible story. And so many that I that I took from that. And I, I hope you guys did as well. I hope it's put a big smile on your face. It's a one we can re-listen to and relive the glory of Wimbledon 2022 that was an absolute delight for us all. We will look forward to the US Open in, in a few weeks and see what the state of tennis is, see what the storylines are. Will we have another Emma Raducanu moment? Will the world number seven, Novak Djokovic, get to number 22? Will he be allowed in the country 
Will Rafael Nadal find his way to number 23? There are so many storylines for us to look forward to. I, for one, can't wait already. I love tennis. I love the tennis world. And it's a great pleasure to bring you this podcast. So thank you all for listening. I do have one quick request. If you are enjoying the podcast, just a quick two minutes on your podcast platform to give us a like, give us a review, give us a rating, get these podcasts out far and wide to all of those people around the world who would benefit from listening to them. We will be back next week, as always, with an amazing guest coming your way and lots more to come over the next few weeks. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables.